sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports. With the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to 2024. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports, the first of 2024 glad that you could be with us a lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast as always as we start 2024 i want to say that anywhere where you're listening to your favorite podcast iheart itunes spotify amazon do me a favor as always anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast find windows world of sports if you're listening to this podcast if you're enjoying what you're listening to please download subscribe rate review most importantly enjoy the most unique entertaining thought-provoking sports talk podcast i have one request if you are enjoying this podcast it's my responsibility to make sure that you enjoy this podcast that you want to make you want to come back and listen to this podcast again and again and again and again that's my responsibility but if i have fulfilled those requirements and you do enjoy this podcast and you do want to listen to this podcast on a semi-regular basis, regular basis, whatever. The only thing that I ask you to do, I ain't asking for money. I ain't asking for you to take time away from your husband or your wife or your kids or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your aunt or your nieces or your cousins or your best friends or your side chick or anything like that. The only thing I'm asking you to do is just subscribe, rate, review, and every time you listen to my podcast, enjoy. That's it. That's all. And it will make me the happiest human being walking the face of the earth. You know, for 2024, let me just go ahead and say this. For everyone listening to my program, for everyone around the world, regardless of race, regardless of color, regardless of uh, gender, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of where you come from, regardless of religion, regardless of who you love, regardless of any of that stuff, I want for each and every one of you to have 2024 be the greatest year of your life. If you're coming off a year in 2023 where you say to yourself, man, that was the greatest year I've have ever had in my life. I want you to make 2024, us as a society, 2024 be a turnaround in terms of what we can do in terms of love, in terms of compassion, in terms of empathy, in terms of understanding, in terms of knowledge, in terms of loving each other, respect, loyalty. That's what we need. That's what we need. I hope from every individual out there that you reach your goals and your happiness. I hope, whether it be financial, whether it be spiritual, whatever, man, I want you to reach those goals. I want you to be as happy as a lark. But as a but as a society, what I want us to do for 2024 is see what we can do to um, exchange more love between one another, more understanding 
between one another. More empathy between one another. More forgiveness. Not forgetfulness, but forgiveness among one another. Less hate amongst one another. Regardless if you're homosexual or not. Regardless if you're LBGQ or not. Regardless if you're Asian, Hispanic, or Black, or Christian, or, or atheist, or whatever. More love. More love. More love. Man, I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what gender you claim you are. I don't care what part of the country are you from. I don't care what side of the tracks you come from. I don't care what's in your bank account. I don't care what you have or what you don't have. I don't care about any of that stuff. If you're a good, loving person, man, you got my 100, man. If you're a good, loving person that's, that's down to make this world a better place to be through love, understanding, empathy, passion, compassion, then you've got my uh, 100. Again, I don't give a damn where you come from. I don't give a damn who you believe in. I don't give a damn who you pray to. I don't give a damn what you pray or not. I don't give a damn what's your race, religion. I don't give a damn. Let's go ahead and see what we can do to make this world a better place to be for 2024 so then we can continue to build for the younger generation coming up so they can see our example of what a world of love, compassion, empathy, and such can do. So that's my only request for the year 2024, along with you liking, downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. So there you go, man. One of those world of sports. A lot of good stuff to get into. I was going to get into first, and I'm going to. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning. I was going to get straight into, or excuse me, I'm recording this on a Wednesday, I'm sorry. Monday I had off, it was New Year's uh, it, was, it was New Year's Day. But I'm recording this on a Wednesday morning, so you can see I'm still half asleep, right? Um, I was going to start with, I was going to start with the um, college football games, the semifinals, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, and I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get into that very, very shortly, this first segment. But I woke up this morning, around a quarter of six, feeling good, feeling fantastic. And I saw something in terms of a score in women's college basketball, which made me do a double take. The score, the final score, 159-18. to 18, The Grambling women's basketball team beating up on a school called Biblical, Biblical College Studies. I think that's it. Biblical College Studies. Again, the final score, 159. 59 to 18. Now, if you do the math, that's the score where it's uh, it's 100, 141 point difference. The College of Biblical Studies, based in Houston, plays in the southwest region of the Division II National Christian Collegiate uh, College Athletic Association. Now, I, I, I know what many people are thinking, and, and I was one of them when I first saw the score. First of all, I thought, nor- normally when you speak about Grambling or Grambling State or any school, the SWAC or the MEAC, a school which is uh, those programs, those universities, which are HBCUs, historically black college and universities, normally to keep their athletic budget alive and put some money into their pockets, they're the ones normally going up, if, say, for instance, if Grambling, the women's basketball team for Grambling, let's say, for instance, you'll, you'll see them go to a LSU. You'll see them go to a Connecticut. You'll, you'll, you'll see them go to one of the top-tier schools, programs, in whatever sport they're playing. If it's football, they'll play Alabama. Speaking about uh, Alabama A&M, a black, historically black school, they'll go ahead and they'll play Alabama. Florida A&M, FAMU, they'll go ahead and play Florida or Florida State. Um, Maryland Eastern Shore, Morgan State, and the Baltimore 
uh, in the Baltimore area, the Washington metropolitan area. You'll, you'll see them play a Maryland. And you'll see them get their asses whooped uh, pretty good in football and basketball, whatever. But it's a, it's a situation where it needs to be done because the payout that it accumulates or the payout that they receive from these schools who are looking for a glorified scrimmage when you're speaking about some of the top-tier schools in college football, college basketball, men's and women's college basketball, Normally, again, they have these teams come up, they'll pay them a certain amount of money, normally six figures, You'll, they'll beat them anywhere between 50 and 80 points, but it will um, provide a, a good service for the HBCU school because, again, the payout will come for them to be able to supply, uh, be able to uh, provide the uh, funds for other sports at their school. Without them, they wouldn't be able to do so. So normally, when I first saw that score, I thought the Grambling play LSU or something like that in terms of I thought Grambling had lost to um to a school by that measure, but no, it was them putting on the beatdown. Now and again, and I will say this: I, I, I watch. You can watch the game on YouTube. I don't know what's more pathetic. I don't know what's more hilarious: watching the game or listening to the student uh, the student uh, broadcast of the game. Could you at least give those kids a program? So they can't say number four passes to uh, number five. Oh, they shoot the ball in. Isn't that something? Could you at least get somebody who's going to be doing play-by-play at the game? Could you at least get someone who might have an inkling, who might have an interest of maybe doing play-by-play? Because I'm sorry, man. Those students that were doing the game, listening to that, uh, pro- uh, listening to that broadcast, yeah, they made that guy who sound. You remember Boom Boom Go to Dynamite? Remember that guy? He made those kids made that guy sound like Chick Hearn and Mike and, and Al Michaels rolled into one times a hundred in terms of what they can do. So it was a situation where it was like I don't know what was more pathetic or hilarious, the broadcast of the game or the game itself, because Grambling really wasn't that good either. For being Division One, it might be small Division One, but but they, they weren't that good either. But man, it was a situation just rolled into one in terms of, okay, Division II school, biblical studies, they hadn't won any games. In fact, they were 0-6 going into the game. And if you go ahead and, and go down to their website, and of course you would, and you go ahead and you take a look at some of the scores that they had lost by, I think they lost uh, by 50-something points, and they lost to Xavier by 40-something points. So they've been getting their asses whooped on a consistent basis for um, the entire uh, for the entire season so far. Um, but so I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, goodness gracious sakes alive. The coach for Grambling, the score was 32 nothing, 34 to 2, 89 to 10. And this coach for Grambling is still putting on a full court press or full court man to man against these poor young ladies who couldn't get the ball barely up half court, uh, past half court. I mean, really? And look, I'm one of these guys when you see these scores. And, you know, they start talking about sportsmanship and calling off the dogs and running up the score and all that kind of stuff. But I'm one of these guys who say, hey, look, man, you know, when you worry about your program, I worry about mine. If I want to beat you by 140 points, I'm going to beat you by 140 points, period. And if you have a problem with that, well, then blame the school. Blame biblical college. Those were the fools who went ahead and said, let's go ahead and have a game. I mean, what's the AD doing? What's the what's the uh, uh, women's basketball coach doing even to agree to something like that? If you're 141 points worse than the team that you're going to be playing, why in the world would you play them? Grambling ain't got no money to give y'all. 
This isn't a situation, again, where Grambling is going to be going to LSU. Grambling, the girls' basketball team, are going to be going to one of the top-tier schools where they can collect a six-figure payday. Grambling ain't got no money to be given to nobody. So why would Biblical College, the College of Biblical Studies, whatever they're called, why would they even agree to something like that? So really, the onus should be put on the people at that school in Houston the College of Biblical Studies, who decided that it would be a good idea to even play this team, uh, speaking about Grambling State. But I will say this. So, 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 so for me, it's like for the coach who's going to be, for the coach from Grambling who's going to be getting, I'm quite sure he's going to be, or she, uh, she is going to be getting um, negative feedback. I will say this. Um, you can do whatever you want. If you wanted to beat that team by 141 points and impress while the game is, 89 to 10 in your favor. If you still want to go ahead and do that, okay, that's fine. You have no class. I don't know exactly what would possess you to do those type of things. I don't know exactly what advantage or or positive outcome you have in doing so. I mean, you could talk about, well, we had our third string in, so it's not like we had our first string in when it was 61 to 3 going up there and doing that type of stuff. Okay, but for your second and third stringers, what is that going to do in terms of helping you become a better basketball team against a team as helpless, as hapless as the one that you were playing, the College of Biblical Studies? What, 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 are you, what advantage are you going to gain with that? Again, you can do whatever you want to. If you want to uh, blow them out by that match, blow them out. You know, you coach your team, I coach mine. My only thing is that it shows their class. You have no class. Congratulations, you have no class. It's not an act that shows, it's not like you have class, but this act is, was, was classless. No, you have no class. As a human being, as a human being who would do something like this, shows you have no class. But I will say this. If I were, say for instance, if I, if I saw the score, and I was Kim Mulkey, and I know these other coaches and programs have bigger fish to uh, fry, but I would say this. In a world where... I believe in retribution of some sort. I don't like bullies. Rambling with definitely being a bully in this situation, especially at a university where they are normally the ones at the receiving ends of such embarrassment and blowout. Maybe not to this degree, but when you speak about the HBCU schools and what they have to go through to collect the paycheck and the embarrassment and the beatdown that they have to receive to get those paychecks, they should know how the College of Biblical Studies will feel. So I'll say this. If I was Kim Mulkey, the head coach of LSU, if I was Don Staley, the head coach of South Carolina, if I was uh, uh, Gino Oriema, the head coach of Connecticut, here's what I do. I say, Grambling, women's basketball program, women's basketball coach, here's what we'll do. Especially Kim Mulkey, because LSU is right down the street, right down the road from Grambling. They're in the same state. I would say this, you know what we'll do? We'll go ahead next season and we'll go ahead, to, we'll go down to uh, your part of the woods. We'll go down to Grambling, Louisiana. I'll bring my squad and we'll go ahead and play. And here's what we'll do. We'll go ahead, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you the check for us to come down to play you guys. And we'll give you a check that's going to be strong enough for you to really make a great contribution to the overall athletic program, funding the other sports for your school. And we'll play you at your gym, which means that people from the community 
are going to come down because they want to see Dawn Staley. They want to see the best teams in college basketball, women's college basketball, basketball, because watching that game a little bit on YouTube between biblical studies and grambling, I saw more folks at an arena when COVID was happening, which was zero. There was nobody, nobody at that game. Man, it made a typical Georgetown home game the last couple of years look like a sellout. Nobody was at that game. As I mentioned before, even Georgetown players were sitting around going, damn, y'all ain't got nobody in this arena. And we know what that feels like when we've been playing the past couple of years. Get to Georgetown in a second. But, um, yeah, so I would say, you know what? For the first time, ladies, you, you ladies can come down and play in front of thousands and thousands of people because the community's going to want to see Dawn Staley in her program. The uh, community's going to want to see Kim Mulkey and the defending national champions. You know, I'll bring Angel Reese and all the great players on down, and we'll go ahead and we'll play that game. But I'm telling you this, because what you did, because after what you did, after the performance you gave, in terms of beating the College of Biblical Studies, I'm going to make sure, and this is Kim Mulkey, this is Gino Oriyama, this is uh, Don Staley talking. When we get down there and we play, I'm going to see what I can do to beat you guys 260 to 14. <laughs> I'm going to press. I'm going to play all my girls. I'm going to play all my All-Americans at least 35 minutes. And we're going to beat the living shit out of you. Let, let, let's see how that feels. Because obviously the ass whoopings that the HBC, HBCU schools have been receiving over the last couple of years with the with the Grambling basketball team, obviously they had forgotten what that feels like. So if I'm Kim Mulkey, if I'm Don Staley, if I'm one of the top tier programs, let me remind you of what an ass whooping really feels like. So the next time you want to go play a college of biblical studies and you're up 34 nothing in the second quarter and you still decide to press, maybe, maybe you can kind of reminisce and rewind your mind back to the beatdown we're going to give you. Because we're going to beat you down something fierce. And I don't give a damn about your players. I don't give a damn about your players' psyche. This is personal, bitch. This is personal between me and you. Because what you did, classless against those poor girls. And I will say this also before I get into college football. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Because you might sit there and you might say, oh, the College of Biblical Studies, ugh. Terrible, horrible, this is the worst thing, they're embarrassed, this, that, and the other. I bet you that website to College of Biblical Studies, I bet you, um, tra I, I bet you the, um, the, the transaction or the, uh, the, the website, the interest in College of Biblical Studies, I bet you it's never been higher. Because people are going to be saying, how can a team lose 159 to uh, 14 to a school like Grambling. Let me look up and see what's going on with Biblical Studies, the College of Biblical Studies. Let me, let me get a little bit more information about that university. And who knows how impactful a positive impact getting beat by 141 points would have on the College of Biblical Studies. The College of Biblical Studies. Let me see here. In fact, I'm at their website right now. Welcome to Disciplinish... Uh, welcome to the Disciplinish... Uh, at CBS. Uh, the disciplinist team serves the CBS mission by striving to see that every student's CBS exper experience is not merely an academic endeavor, but a transformable encounter with the living God. There's the living God? God's living? 
We come alongside each student to help them fulfill Paul's directive from the Lord to the believers in Rome. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I wonder where they have something in terms of, then the Lord said, Y'all should not be getting y'all asses whipped by 141 points. The Lord was watching that game, and he was talking to himself, and he was saying, man, I got to do something about this shit. These bitches are getting their asses whooped. I got to do something. I've got to put this out to the masses. I got to bring this out to the people. I got to bring this out to the multitudes. I got to bring this out to my disciples. I got to bring this out to my children and let them know about this atrocity. Let them know about this beatdown. And put it in their minds as they scoff, as they laugh, at that, as that they're, they're at the end of their tither. But they go ahead and they find out a little bit more about who and what is the College of Biblical Studies. And maybe, just maybe, a person who was brought there by this beatdown that Grambling State gave to the Biblical Studies, maybe that will be the person that will then enroll their children into this studies, that they will become disciples and they will spread the good word and the world will become better for them. Oh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Oh, 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 man, the Lord works in mysterious ways. So, glass half full situation? Just think about that. But ladies, I'm, I apologize for biblical studies. I apologize for that beat down that Grambling put on you. Man, your coach should have just, I don't know, I don't know. If I were the coach of that team, I would have been like, hey, the next... Uh, I would have put somebody, well, they're all terrible. I would have inserted somebody into the game and said the next time they go ahead and um, score and then they set up for a full court press and the person is, uh, you know, uh, pressuring the ball at the baseline, I want you to rear back as hard as you can and throw that ball right between their eyes or right at their nose. I want their orbital bone broken. I want their face broken. I want their nose broken. I want their jaw broken. I want something broken, bruised something, because maybe that will be a situation. I might get kicked out of the game, but if we're up, if if, if we're getting our asses whooped by 85 to 90 points and you're still pressing and trapping and doing all those type of things, yeah, the next time I get the ball, I'm rearing back as, as hard as I can and throw the ball right in your face. And before I just talked about how we need to come together with love, peace, and unity, right? My bad. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, let me go ahead now and talk about the um, talk about the Rose Bowl, talk about the Sugar Bowl, talk about the playoffs in my final games, Michigan, Alabama, Washington, Texas. College football championship game this upcoming Monday. It's going to be Washington at Michigan. Going back to the first game between Michigan and Alabama, Michigan prevailing in overtime, 27-20. Here's my deal when it comes to this. Let me set the parameters for you guys. Um, When it comes to sports, I just want to see the best teams play for a championship. I want to see the best teams compete. And I'm really zeroing in on college athletics because with the uh, college football playoffs, One of the reasons why it was such a must-watch game between Michigan and Alabama, yes, both were ranked in the top five or top four, Michigan and number one team in the country, Alabama, just beating one of the teams that was going to be a dynasty in Georgia and coming into uh, this game 
Red Hot, um, Nick Saban, all this type of stuff, the Rose Bowl, so the setting was going to be magical and this, that, and the other. That was played up a lot in terms of, oh my goodness gracious, we've got Michigan versus Alabama. We got this game at the Rose Bowl. We got this game that's going to see who's going to be going to the national championship, to play for a national championship. And we have two of the Blue Bloods playing on one of the most historic uh, stadiums, arenas, whatever you want to call it in this country, and one of the most traditional bowl games in this country. None of that shit meant anything to me, man. I don't care. I don't care who's playing. I don't care about where they're playing. Just give me the best semifinal games that we can have. And if it's going to be Washington, Texas, Michigan, Alabama, then so be it. If they're going to be playing at the Sugar Bowl, if they're going to be playing at the Rose Bowl, so be it. But any of this other bullshit, I don't care about. I don't care about that stuff. The game between Michigan and Alabama, the the, 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 the programs and the historical programs that they are, I don't care. I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care that they're playing in the Rose Bowl. All I want to see is two of the best teams at that, at that point need to be playing for a spot in a national championship game. That's all I care about. I don't give a damn if they're going to be playing it in the parking lot. I don't give a damn if they're going to be playing it um, in, 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 at a junior high school football field. I don't care if they're going to be playing in front of 100,000 people or the number amount of people that went to the Grambling Biblical College Studies game last night. I don't care. I don't care. Just have me, just give me, just provide for me, just entertain me with the four best teams in the country who are going to be playing for a national championship. So with Alabama and Michigan, I don't give a damn about Bo Schembechler. I don't give a damn about uh, any of that bullshit. For Alabama, I don't give a damn about Bear Bryant. I don't give a damn about Gene Stallings. I don't give a damn about Kenny Stabler. I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. Anything past 2023, I don't give a damn about. It has no bearing whatsoever. Bo Schembechler and the historical... Greatness of Michigan football has no bearance, has no impact whatsoever on the 2023 Michigan Wolverines going to play in the semifinal football game against Alabama. Hence, there's no impact between Alabama and Bear Bryant and anything past 20, past Nick Saban getting there that's going to have any impact on the game itself. So please, spare me the nonsense, spare me the bullshit, spare me the other Spare me that nonsense about, oh my goodness, this game is going to be so great because of the historical presence, the historical greatness of these teams. I don't care. Rose Bowl, it could have been Michigan, Alabama, or it could have been Slippery Rock versus Catholic University. I don't care. As long as it's the two best teams at that position playing for a championship, let's go. Same thing with the Sugar Bowl. I don't give a damn where they're going to be playing it. I don't give a damn about Texas. I don't give a damn about Earl Campbell. I don't give a damn about Daryl Royal. I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. Washington, I don't give a damn about John uh, Don James. I don't give a damn about Warren Moon at that point. I don't give a damn about Steve Entman. I don't give a damn about anything. Marcus Tuliapasopo. I don't give a damn about anything regarding those programs um, before 2023. Let's just concentrate on the teams that are playing now, let's do that, and then that'll be great. The same thing in college basketball, man. It's like, oh my goodness, Kansas is playing Kentucky in the NCAA final. The fact that it's Kansas and Kentucky makes this game even greater. So what? Why? Based on their historical programs? Based on the the, the, the program? 
What does it have to do with 2023? I don't give a damn about what, what, what Kentucky were doing with Adolph Rupp and Joe B. Hall, Adolph Rupp. Rest, uh, rest in hell, you bastard. I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. I don't give a damn about Kansas. And, and they, they're the one that discovered the game of basketball or invented the game of base, uh, basketball, James Naismith. I don't give a damn about that. How good are these teams playing for the championship right now? <laughs> That's what I care about. So, yeah, just getting back to the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl, I just wanted to lay down those... I just wanted to lay down my thought process in terms of my thoughts and opinions about the game because sometimes it's a situation where a game can be let me see a, a, a C can be average in terms of the game itself but it, it raises the level that people raise the level to the game actually being a B just based on the two teams historical uh, impact that it's had on the sport itself so a game that was average well because it's Alabama and Michigan it was really a B no if the game's a C then the game's a C I don't give a damn who's playing so that's where I'm coming from and that's the reason why I wanted to lay all that out first in terms of my thoughts and opinions about that because what I'm saying and what I'm doing to give my thoughts and opinions about the game has nothing to do with the uh, historical impact or the historical greatness of either of these teams so yeah when I speak about Michigan and uh, Alabama going into overtime it was a good game it was a it was a good game it was a compelling game it was an interesting game it was a back and forth game um I thought that uh, Michigan was the team that was what was the better team I thought that the better team won if you take a look at the totality of the game some of the things that I was thinking about um during the game uh was um, really concentrating on Jalen Milrow the quarterback for Alabama. And I was thinking to myself, man, could this guy, not uh, not this season, because he's already um, decided that he's going to come back for his final year next season at uh, Alabama. But I was watching him play, especially in the third quarter, and I was thinking to myself, man, you know, moving up next season. Here I am already speaking about, thinking about next season college football, right? But I was thinking about this with Milrow. Man, you know, it was a situation where, this guy has the physical tools, I think, that in a couple of years, he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Now, I'm not talking about in the 2025 NFL draft, he's going to be the number one player picked or the first quarterback taken off the board. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. But, man, I think that I saw enough raw skill, raw talent from playing the quarterback position that with another year, in college, and then you might draft him in the second round of the NFL draft, uh, depending upon how he plays this next season at Alabama. This is a guy who I think by the 2028 season could be playing quarterback, could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I really do. I really do. If, if you take a look, man, and we take a look at the quarterbacks right now in the NFL, who would have thought Brock Purdy, when he was playing football at Iowa State, would be a guy in his second year, would be an MVP candidate. Who would have thought if we would have seen Joe Burrow when he was at Ohio State and even his junior year at LSU, that he would be the player that he was, not just his senior year at LSU, winning the Heisman Trophy, being the number one draft pick, but still continuing his rise and and, and, and being an elite quarterback in the NFL. Who would have predicted that if you would have saw his arc taking place starting his freshman year at Ohio State, then transferring and seeing him play his junior year at LSU. Who would have thought that one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL as of right now and is being paid 
like he's an elite quarterback in the NFL would be Jalen Hurts for the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, a guy who was what second or third in the MVP voting last season, a guy that you would have saw him play his first couple of years at Alabama, a guy who was benched for Tua Tunga Vailoa. Who would have thought Jalen Hurts at Alabama? Who would have thought that this guy would be in the position that he is right now? Who would have thought that Dak Prescott, if you would have saw him play at Mississippi State, a fourth-round draft pick for the Dallas Cowboys, would be a guy who would be in discussion this season for MVP and be on the verge of collecting a 50-something million dollar payday next season? So what I'm trying to say is that sometimes the arc, sometimes um, we don't see greatness or we don't see the full potential in NFL, in uh, in, in uh, college football players at the quarterback position until later on. Who would have thought that Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson now was not only a high draft pick after completing 53% of his passes and underwhelming performance at Florida. Now this guy is talking about he's going to be in position next season with the Indianapolis Colts when he comes back from shoulder surgery to elevate the Indianapolis Colts to make them more of a playoff contending team. He's already being spoke about, spoken about being an upgrade to uh, Gardner Minshew at the quarterback position. Did anybody see that with Anthony Richardson? We saw the raw skills. We saw the talent. We saw the athleticism. But we didn't think that he would be at this level in terms of his expectation when he comes back. The same thing with Hurts. The same thing with Burrow. The same thing with all these other quarterbacks. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying that Jalen Monroe is going to be a guy that's going to be the number one draft pick. And I'm not saying that uh, he's going to light the world on fire. And I'm not saying that in a couple of years, he's going to be on the same level with uh, Trevor Lawrence or uh, Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or any of those guys. What I'm saying is just watching the game itself and just seeing some glimpses and some flashes. There's a starting quarterback in the NFL at the age of 26, 27, the possibility, I think, is there for Milrow if he continues to improve. So as I was watching the game, that's what one of the things I was uh, thinking about. Yes, I, I know that Michigan's defense basically was, look, we're not going to let the running game stop us. If we're going to have, if we're going to lose this game because Milrow is going to be, you know, that quarterback, then so be it. So I understand that. But there's a lot of raw talent, I think, that could uh, really be cultivated and, um, and um, brought to the light in terms of being a good, solid NFL starting quarterback in the next three to four to five years. So watching this game between Michigan and um, Alabama, as I mentioned before, I thought Michigan was clearly the better football team. I know that they stumbled a little bit in the uh, second half of the third quarter, but it was a situation where Alabama just allowed them to hang around. When, when I thought that Alabama had the opportunity, and Washington did this itself against Texas, when they had the opportunity to really put this game away or put them in a position where panic was, would start to uh, sink in, because if you take a look at this Michigan's team under Jim Harbaugh over the last couple of seasons that they played in the national semifinal game for college football, that they have fell short. If you speak about them losing to TCU last uh, season in the um, in the college football semifinal, that uh, recent recent knowledge would maybe put that concern, not fear, but concern in their minds of Alabama would have converted some opportunities. But it was a situation where even though opportunities given by Alabama to Michigan to get back into the game in the third, early in the fourth quarter did not matriculate, did not uh, did not uh, rear itself, Michigan hung around, 
hung around, hung around, and finally got to the position where that fourth and three call, with about three minutes left to go from their 30-something yard line. But the play was, the call was, the decision was, it was, it, it, it was a ballsy. But I think that what helped it also was the fact that Alabama came out man-to-man defense and there was a coverage mix-up which allowed a 7- or 8-yard game to be turned into a big play, which then gave Michigan that confidence and I think then gave Alabama that trepidation or that fear or that concern to say, oh momentum has swung just like that. So Michigan then got their mojo back. Just like Stella got her groove back, but Michigan didn't have to go to Jamaica like Stella did to get her groove back, their groove back. They went ahead and they um, are now moving on to the national championship game where they're going to be playing the Washington Huskies. Michael Penix Jr., man. Michael Penix Jr. Um, One of the best semifinal games played by a quarterback. Um, You know, when you speak about not just the yardage, uh, but the fact that uh, you know it, he he would he was throwing some dimes, man. That man was throwing some dimes, and they just uh, kept at bay. The one thing that kind of that kind of puzzled me was after Texas late in the fourth, after Texas kicked that field goal to make a thirty-seven thirty-one, right? Then they kicked the onside kick. Washington recovers the onside kick. There's what a minute and something left to go in the game. Texas has two timeouts. You would think then that Washington, all they need to do, just kneel down. Victory formation. What are they doing in the pistol or shotgun formation handing the ball off? What? And you saw that almost cost them the game. Now, you could sit there and say, well, who was going to predict that the running back was going to injure his foot? And because of that, they would have to call timeout, injury timeout, which would save Texas about 25, 30 seconds left. So when they got the ball, on their side of the uh, field to go ahead and try to uh, score the winning touchdown that instead of having it be 20, 25 seconds left with no timeouts, that it would still be plenty of time for them to do so. Well, yeah, that couldn't have been predicted in terms of the injury by that running back from Washington, but that's one of the reasons why you do a kneel down. Because guess what? I know one thing that's not going to be happening. If you kneel down, if you go in a victory formation, something like that will not happen. For the most part, I'm sorry, the chances of someone getting injured on a victory formation and victory play, kneel down play, the chances of someone getting injured on your team are a lot less than if you hand the ball off to a guy who was facing injury problems before this game started. Now look, Kelly DeVore knows a lot more about coaching football. He's a very successful coach, this, that, and the other, but I just want to it was just curious to me. I'm not calling him dumb or something like that. I'm just saying it was curious to me why he just didn't kneel down on the ball. Yeah, I, I know, again, that he was trying to run off as much time as possible. But, man, you kick the ball. You, you pin Texas deep with about 20, 25 seconds left to go. Man, you don't give Texas any amount of time. And they were a pass in the end zone de- uh, defended from them losing, I would have to say, in one of the most heart- heartbreaking games in college football playoff history if Texas would have been able to um, to uh, complete that miracle. So, yeah, so in the championship game, we've got Houston and we've got, uh, we've got Houston and we've, in Houston we have uh, Washington and we have Michigan. So it'll be interesting. And, of course, the speculation will start about uh, when is 
Jim Harbaugh going to leave Michigan and go somewhere else? I don't know. It, all this stuff, all this stuff concerning Michigan is a little bit sleazy, is a little bit annoying, just a little bit just like, whatever, man. Jim, just go. Just, just, just go. There's, there's something about Jim Harbaugh. I'm quite sure he's a great father and a great husband and all that kind of stuff. Never met Jim Harbaugh, so who am I to judge what type of person that he is? But it's just like, wouldn't college football in some regards be better off without Jim Harbaugh? Just all the nonsense that he puts Michigan through, all the nonsense that he put Michigan through this year for the second time. Jim Harbaugh's a great coach, but Jim Harbaugh also reminds me a lot about Urban Meyer in this regard. Urban Meyer was going to come in he was going to be successful. He was going to come in and he was going to make his presence felt in terms of winning football games. And you were going to win a lot of football games. You were going to win championships. You were going to be in position to win championships. He was going to elevate your program. He was going to elevate the conference that he was in. He was going, he's a, he, he's a winner in terms of the wins and losses, building programs, all those type of things in a, in a quick, in a uh, short amount of time. But when everything comes crashing down, when the movie ends, when the song stops, when people start stop dancing, when the stores close, he's going to leave your program in ruins. It's going to be a situation where Urban Meyer is going to come in. He's going to do all those great things. And within about five, six, seven, eight, nine years, you're going to be begging for this guy to leave. I'm talking about college football programs. It took him a lot less when he's the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But there's going to be a, some type of situation there's going to be some type of uh, embarrassment for the uh, university. There's going to be some type of nonsense. There's going to be some type of bullshit. Urban Meyer is going to put your football program, your athletic department, your athletic director, your president, your community, your school in some type of embarrassing position when everything is all said and done. After the championships are won and after the recruiting battles are done and after all of this said is after the national championships and the conference championships and all those type of things, when the, when the dust finally settles, instead of saying, woohoo, Urban Meyer, you're the man, you're the greatest, let me give you a contract extension, let me build you a statue, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be saying, get out. <laughs> They're going to be saying, get out and let's see, what we can, let's see who we can hire to clean up this mess. I think it's kind of the same with uh, Jim Harbaugh, man. Jim Harbaugh, whether he was with Stanford, whether he was with the 49ers, whether he was now with Michigan, it's a situation when everything is all said and done. Now, he's going to leave Michigan, I think, in a better, uh, a lot better than, he's, than, let's say, he left the 49ers. But uh, the situation where win the, win the championship or not win the championship, yeah, man, just have Jim Harbaugh say, thank you so much for your time and your patience and this, that, and the other. Now it's time for me to bounce. And I think there's going to be a decent number of people at that university, in that community, that are going to be like, cool, bounce. Now, alumni, former football players, former football players of the, uh, you know, they might have a different take. They might have a different opinion. But I'm quite sure there's a nice underbelly of folks who are going to be like, yeah, man, come on, get on out of here. Go ahead and move somewhere else. And, and, and sit back and watch the show. Sit back and get the laugh track ready. Sit back and watch the car wreck if Jim Harbaugh becomes the coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. He's going to drive the GM and the Spanises nuts. He's going to drive them crazy. If he goes to San Diego, well, if he goes to Los Angeles, <clears throat> excuse me, if he goes to Los Angeles, 
He won't make it past five years. I'm telling you this right now. Oh, man, Jim Harbaugh, great coach. He's Justin Herbert, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, the Spanos are not going to uh, put up with that motherfucker. I'm telling you that right now. And remember, the Spanos is the family that let Marty Schottenheimer go when the Chargers were coming off a 14-2 and season. And the only reason why they lost to the uh, New England Patriots in the playoff was because after an interception, uh, the guy had the ball taken away from him by, I believe it was Troy Brown or something like that, or else that game would have been over and the Chargers would have been moving on. So when you have a Spanos family, when you have a team that's being run, a football program, an NFL program franchise that's being run by the Spanoses, you can believe there's going to be turmoil. You can believe there's going to be dysfunction. You can, you, can, you can see that right away. So it's going to be hilarious. It's, it's reality show television at its finest in terms of the Spanoses. That family and Jim Harbaugh getting along with each other. So, yeah, there you go. But this is the last, this is the last season of the four-team playoff, and we can go to a 12-team playoff, so we won't have to worry about what happened in the Orange Bowl between Florida State and um, <clears throat> Florida State and Georgia. Georgia must be kicking themselves. They should have been kicking themselves because after all, everything is all said and done. Georgia should have been in that playoff, but. I'm saying should have in terms of they're the best team, but you lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, you you dug your own grave and then you jumped on in. So, so there you go, there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. After this boogie break, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna talk about the NFL. We're gonna take a look at the playoff picture in the NFC and the AFC. We're gonna be talking about the San Francisco 49ers. We're gonna be talking about who's gonna be the MVP of the league. I want to really focus on this, and I'll leave you with this tease. Lamar Jackson, I believe, the NFL MVP for this season. It's going to be a second before he turns 27. I know people say, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. But it's now time to start saying, when we think about the main man, the most valuable player on a team, the guy that you would choose first to build a football program or to Start your franchise. The common answer has always been Patrick Mahomes. After this season, is it now time to say Lamar Jackson? Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Everybody's in a rush to try to get the throne. I just get on the track and try to set the tone. I ain't trying to use nobody as a stepping stone. But don't compare me. I'm better off exclusive alone. And I ain't even trying to go there with record sales. I'm just trying to keep it humble and respect myself. Stay with up, keep stepping, and this rep keeps well. Keep my nose clean, stay away from weapons, jail, and living reckless. But if you go check my mail, you may see something else I'd use to protect myself. The best to stop a Ruger and deflect the shells. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Happy 2024, everyone. Again, I hope everybody's going to see what they can do to make 2024 the best year possible for them, even if 2023 was considered the greatest 
year for you also. I'm going to, uh, I know I haven't been on the air for a while. So I've been on the air, sorry. I haven't done a podcast in a while. Um, reason why, I went out to uh, L.A., I saw a good buddy of mine, good friend of mine, first time in seven years. We were kicking it, uh, chopping it up, having a good time. Uh, early December or the mid-December, went out, saw the uh, Los Angeles Chargers play, first time at SoFi Stadium. Great experience, wonderful experience. In fact, we saw the Chargers play the Denver Broncos. It was the second to last game before the firing of Brandon Staley, and we found and I saw the uh, Broncos play with Russell Wilson. I think it was his last victory with the Broncos before he, that he was benched. So it was a situation where, you know, L.A. is something else, man. Inglewood is something else with what they're building over there. I saw the opportunity, I had the opportunity to see from afar, from a distance, the uh, Clippers arena that's being built. So Inglewood is starting to, uh, it's going to rebuild itself and uh, do some things. Had an opportunity to see the forum and all that good stuff. So we went to the Chargers game, so Fight Stadium. Awesome experience on Sunday. Then that Monday, we went to uh, Crypto, Staples Center, whatever you want to call it, to see the Clippers play the Portland Trailblazers. It was a very entertaining basketball game. So, um, had a good time in L.A. It's a place that I'll never live, but it's a pretty decent place to visit once or twice a year. So, had an opportunity to do that, came back, and then got caught up in the Christmas season. And I said to myself, I'll, I'll just wait till the end of the year. Uh, End of the year, the beginning of 2024 to go ahead to start another podcast or to start my first podcast. So um, that's the reason why you haven't heard from me in a little bit. Wanted to. I really wanted to. But, uh, you know, life happens, man. But uh, 2024, one of the things that I'll be working on is every single solitary week you will be receiving, you will be getting a podcast from me. Not asking you to listen to each and every one of them, but uh, as many as you can, whether that be one or all, that would be absolutely fantastic. Remember, download, subscribe, rate, and review. It would make me very happy. So this podcast, I'm not really going to get into the NBA. I'm going to uh, reset and watch a lot of NBA games and following what's been happening in the NBA. But um, after the college football playoffs and what's going on in the NFL, while the NBA, in terms of sports leagues, are concerned, they are the love of my life. They are my Halle Berry. They are my Layla Roshan. They are my Jada Fire. They are my uh, Monica Bellucci. They are my Selma Hayek. They are the lust and love of my life. I'm going to hold off and speak about what's happening in the NFL. So let's go ahead. I know I mentioned the fact about uh, Lamar Jackson. I don't want to keep the tease hanging out there for too much longer. But uh, I mentioned the fact that Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP of the season. Quite frankly, he should be. It's always interesting when you think about this, right? Because Lamar Jackson, I think it's not until he beat, it's not until that game against the Detroit Lions, right, where Baltimore won at home 34-6, to that we really started talking about the possibility of Lamar Jackson being the MVP. It was always a situation where first it was uh, Tua, the month that he had, especially after that performance he had in that 70-20 to victory over Denver. So it was a situation where Tua was the front runner in the MVP of the MVP early in the season. Then it was Josh Allen, and then it was Brock Purdy, and then it was Christian McCaffrey, and then it was Micah Parsons, and then it was Dak Prescott, and then for a short amount of time it was Joe Burrow when he came back, and the performance that he had against the 49 and now with Joe Burrow back, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to make a run. So now he could be a situation where he could be thought of as an MVP candidate. And then it was back to Brock Purdy. 
And then Lamar Jackson again came in, and then he kind of dipped a little bit, and then really gained momentum and really separated himself from the Two Woods and the McCaffreys and the Purdies and, and everyone else after that performance he had against the San Francisco 49ers, Christmas Day, Monday Night Football, correct? He came in there, outplayed Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy threw four interceptions. And then there was a situation where, okay, we've established two things from this game, two takeaways. Number one, that the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the NFL and that Lamar Jackson is the MVP of the league. So I'm thinking to myself, man, this was a situation because if you think about it, coming into the season, right, we really didn't mention anything about Lamar Jackson being an MVP. We, we talked about uh, Patrick Mahomes. We, we, we talked about others. We talked about Josh Allen. We talked about Joe Burrow. We talked about others. But we really didn't talk about Lamar Jackson. And even coming into the season, we really haven't talked about Lamar Jackson being the upper tier when it comes to elite NFL quarterbacks, right? I mean, we always start with Mahomes. Anything in terms of greatness, anything anything in terms of importance in the NFL winning, that type of thing, it always starts with Patrick Mahomes. And for the most part, it always should start with Patrick Mahomes. Whether you're talking about MVP, whether you're talking about best player, whether you're talking about if you had the number one draft pick in the NFL, who would you draft? It always surrounds, it always is about Patrick Mahomes. If you speak about who's the face of the league, if you have people who really aren't into the NFL, might not follow the NFL, they're not, they're not going to hear a Micah Parsons. They're not going to hear a Brock Purdy. They're not going to hear about Joe Burrow. That's not the first thing that's going to come through their brain, to their mind, to their conscious. It's going to be Patrick Mahomes. So Patrick Mahomes, and understandably so, two-time Super Bowl champion, all already being labeled as he's the greatest and what does he need to do to catch Tom Brady as being the greatest quarterback of all time? And is he all, if he, if his career ended today, he would already be a Hall of Famer. All of this stuff, rightfully so, was being discussed. My point now is with Lamar Jackson winning his second MVP before the age of 27, which matches, I believe, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and I believe 11 other um, NFL greats who have won two MVPs. Except eight of them are already in the Hall of Fame and the three that aren't are still playing, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and I forgot the other one. But is this a a situation where we should start saying now, and, and maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's just one season bias because of the year that the Baltimore Ravens have had, because of the year that Lamar Jackson have had, has had. And that the year of Patrick Mahomes being for Patrick Mahomes standard, substandard. Not just in his performance itself, but also his impact. A lot of that is attributed to the fact that his offensive line has been shaky and inconsistent. The fact that the wide receivers can't catch a pass. The fact that Travis Kelsey, whether it be because of the woman that he's dating or whatever, that's distracting him from being the uh, tight end that he could be. If you want to throw out that argument, he's not the tight end that he once was from a couple of years ago. There's a lot of things, a, a lack of a consistent running uh, game for the uh, Kansas City football teams. All of these things have contributed to Patrick Mahomes really not having the year that we expected him to have because he's always been able to turn chicken shit into chicken salad, right? 
I mean, they lost Tyreek Hill, they still win a Super Bowl, right? His offensive line is inconsistent, they still get to the Super Bowl before he gets pummeled by the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's never really had a running game. He's never had a Jonathan Taylor. He's never had one of the top running backs at his side or by or or, or behind him to hunt to uh, run the ball off. But Patrick Mahomes has always seemed to make it work. I wonder if the loss of Eric Bieniemy, as far as his offensive coordinator is concerned, also contributes to the fact that Kansas City on offense has not been the willed oil machine that they have been for the past couple of seasons in terms of winning football games, in terms of Patrick Mahomes being the quarterback that he has become and that he is. But the point is, maybe that's all, maybe that's clouding my decision and my discussion in saying this, but I think that Lamar Jackson now has surpassed, for now, he has surpassed. Patrick Mahomes as the most important player on the football squad. Now, I know you're going to say one thing, and this is extremely valid. I get it. I understand it. I embrace it. I kiss it. I fondle it. I love it. The the, the, the point that you're going to make. How in the world can you say that Lamar Jackson is the most important player or the most valuable player in the NFL? How can you say that he's better than Patrick Mahomes? How can you now say that he's the number one quarterback in the league? Oh, I'm sorry. Patrick Mahomes has more Super Bowl rings than Lamar Jackson has playoff victories. So how in the world can you make a a, a decision like that? How in the world can you say something like that? That's a good point. (laughs) That's a real good point. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, if as great as a year that Lamar Jackson has had, as great of a year that the Baltimore Ravens have had, there's no guarantee that they're going to win their uh, first playoff game. When you speak about Jackson probably going to be taking two weeks off because he's not going to be playing in week 17. He's not. He's going to have a first round bye. Who knows what he's going to look like? The year that he went 14-2, and two, the year that the Ravens went 14-2 and two, and he won his first MVP, his first playoff game, I believe it was against the then San Diego Chargers. He didn't look he didn't look well. He hasn't played well in playoffs. Absolutely. Point valid. Leaning on faith when I say this. I think this is Lamar Jackson's time. I think this is a situation. If you if you take a look, if this was a horse race, yeah, at the beginning, Patrick Mahomes, well in the lead. When you speak about the impact, when you speak about the the, uh, the, the greatness and, and, and the MVPs and who would you start your team with and who's the better quarterback, yes, I think for the first five, six years, Patrick Mahomes clearly was that guy, clearly ahead of Lamar Jackson. But now I'm thinking about 2024, moving into 2024. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes has fallen off a cliff. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is the bum. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes can never be the Patrick Mahomes that he was before to build that resume, to build that foundation, to build what he has built for us to speak with, speak about him in such glowing terms. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes is no longer that guy. This is more about the elevation of Lamar Jackson more than the dissension of Patrick Mahomes. And that goes for Joe Burrow. That goes for Josh Allen. That goes for Trevor Lawrence. That goes for Dak Prescott. That goes for all of what we consider the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. This is not a situation where I think any of those guys took a step back. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think that at all. 
Has Josh Allen been inconsistent this year? Yeah. But is Josh Allen still a guy that if he gets it rolling, he's going to be close to unstoppable? Yeah. Is Josh Allen still that guy that deserves to be in the conversation of, well, if it ain't Patrick Mahomes as the best quarterback in the league, the best player in the league, can it also be Josh Allen? Is there a argument to be made that it's Josh Allen, not Patrick Mahomes, that is the best player in the league? Can that argument be made? I'm not saying it's correct, but that are, can that argument be made? Yes. So my thoughts and opinions about the other quarterbacks, they haven't, they haven't uh, deterred from what I thought before. Joe Burrow, elite, can lead a team to a Super Bowl. Josh Allen, elite, can lead his team to a Super Bowl, even though he hasn't done it yet. Patrick Mahomes, elite, elite, can still get it done. We still fear, despite all the deficiencies that the Kansas City football team has, we still feel and fear Patrick Mahomes can still get it done. Let's put it this way. If there's any other quarterback, who, if there's any quarterback who can get it done in terms of uh, overcoming the obstacles and overcoming the deficiencies of their team and get them to a Super Bowl when everybody thinks that they can't do it, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes. I still feel he's in that same, I still that he's on, feel that he's on this level. But now I also feel that Lamar Jackson is on that level. And I also feel that Lamar Jackson has a lot more growth to him to be a great quarterback more than Patrick Mahomes. Again, again, again. Hold on, hold on. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes can't become even better. I'm sorry, Pat. Yeah, I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes can't become better. I, never, I didn't say that. What I'm saying that in, what I'm saying that in, as far as the ceiling is concerned, I think Lamar Jackson has a higher ceiling to become great than Patrick Mahomes' ceiling. I think Patrick Mahomes is closer closer to his ceiling now than Lamar Jackson. And if Lamar Jackson can reach a ceiling, they keep Todd Munkin at the offensive coordinator, they might get themselves another uh, wide receiver. Mark Andrews comes back and is just as good for the next couple of years. Why can't all of a sudden Lamar Jackson be that guy along with Patrick Mahomes, along with Justin Herbert, along with with all the other great quarterbacks. Why can't Lamar Jackson be at the forefront? It's almost like a situation where my man, my favorite athlete of my generation, the man who I admire most as an athlete, as a man, as a human being from afar, don't know the man personally, never spoke to him, never hung out with him. So from what the media, from what society um, presents to me, I think um, Roger Federer is the best, is the best, is the best, is the best of all the athletes in terms of being a human being, in terms of being an athlete, Roger Federer, that's my man. I idolize my man, Roger Federer, for the longest of time. My favorite athlete of my generation, right? Came out without question. Started off his career after a little bit of a lull, after uh, when, when the lights finally came on, when the, um, when the light came on in his mental, and he started dominating, right? Roger Federer, greatest tennis player of all time. As he was trying to reach Pete Sampras's uh, most uh, Grand Slam victories, right? Roger Federer, the greatest. Roger Federer, the greatest. But there were two guys who were kind of nipping at his heels, that were kind of coming up on him, that were kind of getting closer and closer. Their names were Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. And as Federer reached his ceiling, 
of how great that he could become through age, through injury, through fatherhood, through marriage, through life. Guess who kept getting closer and closer and closer? Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal. Now, it's a debate in terms of who's the greatest tennis player of all time, or at the very least, who's the greatest player of his generation, of Federer's generation. Because you have Djokovic still going strong with more Grand Slam titles. When Roger finally hit 15 to break Pete Sampras' record, it was a situation where that's it, case closed, no doubt about it, he's the greatest, don't want to hear anybody else, don't bring me Novak, don't bring me Rafa, no, 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 no. It's all about Federer, 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 Federer. And that was me, I was leading the charge on that. But as time went on, because there was still room in that ceiling to grow, to reach for both Nadal and Djokovic. All of a sudden now, yeah, you can make the argument that Federer's still the greatest, but um, Federer's retired. And the last time I checked, and it pains me to say so, as Federer was coming down from the best of his best, that in... Grand Slam finals and semifinals, he was getting his ass whooped by Feder- uh, by um, Djokovic and Nadal as he was declining and they were ascending. <laughs> Roger was so great. Roger was coming down from Mount Olympus. He's still amongst the stars. He's still amongst the greatest as he was coming down. But all of a sudden, who was there to uh, see him and beat him consistently? Rafa? And Novak, the same thing I believe with Patrick Mahomes and what's happening with Lamar Jackson. As Patrick has reached or has is nearing the limit of how great that he can become, still think there's more room there, but as he's reaching his limit, I think Lamar is getting better and better. The improvements that Lamar Jackson has made, in my mind, makes me feel that, yeah, It's a situation where very, very, very soon it's going to be Lamar Jackson's league. All of a sudden now, they're going to be talking about Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Don't get me wrong, man. This is not a situation where, again, Patrick Mahomes all of a sudden is going to be falling back to also ran Sam Howell territory. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes still has more magic to make. He's still going to make more magic, still going to make more memories. And I predict still going to win more Super Bowls. But right by his side, his main competition is going to be Lamar Jackson. I think that uh, this is going to be the best opportunity in Lamar's career to win a Super Bowl. He hasn't turned 27 yet, and yet he's still, he's, uh, he's won two MVPs. And again, he's still getting better. This season, growing by leaps and bounds. Now relying on the skills of a classic quarterback and not just improvising. I mean, this is a man who can do the standard. This is a man who can play the saxophone and do the standard. But if he needs to go John Coltrane, if he needs to go uh, uh, Sonny uh, Sonny Rollins, if he needs to go there, he can also do that also. He can riff and still be able to play the best of the ble- of the best. That's what Lamar Jackson has become. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be intriguing. It's going to be something that I'm looking forward to in terms of how much better that he can be. And 
with the organization, the Ravens organization, knowing that what they're going to do to give Jackson the weapons for him to reach his full capacity, for him to reach his full potential. And what is the counterpunch going to be for Kansas City and that organization to make sure that some of the mistakes that happened this season, overvaluating the wide receiver, overvaluating the offensive line, overvaluating the running back because they figured, you know what, again, Patrick Mahomes could take any type of shit and turn it into uh, perfume. Now they're gonna. Now it's going to be interesting to see exactly what's going to be happening next. So, yeah, there's my deal. There's my stuff about that. When I come back after my boogie break, the last segment of the program, I'm going to get into the uh, playoffs, going to get into the uh, AFC, NFC playoffs, talk about that. Week 17, week 18, whatever, the last week of the NFL season is right around the corner. So we'll get into all of those games, maybe talk about the atrocity, which was the uh, Lions and the uh, Cowboys game. All of that, <clears throat> all of that stuff <clears throat> I will get into as a boogie here on Wendell's World and Sports. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. As I mentioned before, I want to get to the AFC, want to get to the NFC in terms of the playoffs are concerned, the playoff picture going into the last week of the season in the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers, 12-4. and Clinched the number one seed after beating up on my Washington Commanders 27-10. This past Sunday, Brock Purdy came out on fire in the first quarter, completing nine of his eight of his first nine passes for 52 yards in the touchdown. Finished the game 22-28 for 230 yards and two touchdowns. Complete domination, of course, against an inept, ter- terrible football team in franchise, which is my Commanders right now. Had possessions of the ball for over 38 minutes. Had 28 first downs compared to 12 for Washington. Um, Should we go on? Had 420, uh, 408 yards compared to 225 for Washington. Got back on track after losing to Baltimore The in the game of the season, I guess. How many games of the season have there been so far? I know that there was Philadelphia and in, Philadelphia and Kansas City, I believe, with the first quote-unquote game of the season. Then it was, uh, I think it's been like two or three, right? Because I know Baltimore and San Francisco were the game of the season. Philadelphia in in San Francisco was the game of the season. And now for the Sunday night football game coming up between the Dolphins and the Dolphins and the uh, Buffalo Bills, that might be considered the game of the season. So only four games of the season so far in the NFL. That's pretty good. But in the, I believe, what, the third game of the season between the 
between Baltimore and um, San Francisco. Baltimore blew them out 33-19. to I should say blew them out, but definitely um, with the superior team on that day, 33-19. to It was the first loss of the season. When you speak about the 49ers with all their important players, the game came on Christmas Day, kind of kind of punctuated two things. Number one, Brock Purdy lost his opportunity to win the MVP and put his stature as a quarterback in a more reality-based evaluation of him. Again, I think that we were speaking about great story, unbelievable when we were speaking about um, when we were speaking about Purdy being the MVP of the season. This was a situation before Lamar took it from him on that night where it was really not clear cut because it was a you you can really dive into the bag of what exactly is your definition of an MVP. Because Purdy might have been a Purdy was the quarterback of the best team in the league going up against Baltimore with the best stats. And if you take a look at the numbers and all this type of stuff, it was, yeah, Brock Purdy, without question, without doubt, he's the MVP of the team or he's the MVP of the league, this, that, and the other. Then when you speak about, okay, well, start naming the best players in the league. You would go with Mahomes. You would go with Christian McCaffrey. You would go with Michael Parsons. You would go with a lot of players even before you got to Brock Purdy. So the argument for Brock Purdy winning the MVP and not winning the MVP were both valid. You take a look at the numbers, you take a look at the impact, you take a look at all that, of course he's the MVP, but if you take a look at what he's working with compared to some of the other MVP candidates, then you can also make the argument of why he's not the MVP, that Christian McCaffrey could be the MVP, that Trent Williams, based on what he did, the best left tackle in the NFL, contributed a lot to Brock Purdy being the MVP, along with George Kittle, along with Debo Samuels, along with Brandon Ayuk, along with um, Christian McCaffrey. Just think about all those names. Just think about all of those skill players that I just mentioned. In terms of them, with the exception of Ayuk, maybe being the top 15, 16 offensive skill players in the game. You speak about Creston McCaffrey being elite. You speak about George Kittle without question in the upper tier of being um, considered one of the best tight ends in the league. Debo Samuels, a guy who is a dual threat, not only catching the football, but also running the football. The things that you can do, the versatility that you can put him in. And then you have Kyle Shanahan um, at the coach and offensive coordinator. So all of these things contributed to Brock Purdy being the MVP, but if those things had so much weight on Brock Purdy being the MVP, can you then consider him the MVP? So that was all obliterated. That was all that was all discussion that no longer needed to be discussed in terms of Brock Purdy winning the MVP after the game that he had four interceptions thrown against the uh, Baltimore Ravens compared to Jackson, who went 23 or 35 for 252 yards and two touchdowns. So through week 17, 17 weeks, San Francisco had been the best team in the NFC. I still think that they're the best team in the NFC, especially when you think about what the other teams have done below them. When you speak about Detroit, when you speak about Dallas, when you speak about Philadelphia, when you speak about um, who's going to be winning the NFC South, does it really matter? We thought it was going to be Tampa Bay's conference or Division Two will win, but now they came up short and have to do some things the last game of the season. We spoke about that game between Dallas and and um, Detroit, but we didn't speak about it. But we're going to speak, we're going to speak about it right now in terms of what did you get coming away from that game? Because look, win or lose, it was a situation where you 
play that game ten times between those two teams, I think it's five and five. Now I know that there's road implications. I know all those type of things, but both teams had already clinched the playoff. Detroit had already clinched the uh, division, so it was a situation where, and, and we know the record for Dallas home and away. So all those things come into focus. All of those things come into play. But I left that game thinking about, okay, well, you know, Dallas, for at least this game, did answer some questions on uh, stopping the run, a situation where they could win a game at home where they weren't scoring 40 points a game, um, a situation where they're still deficient at running the football. If you take a look at the total number of yards and Tony Pollard and the um, number of the, the, the yardage per carry that he had, that's still going to be a problem for the Dallas Cowboys in terms of running the football. Some of the injuries that happened on the offensive line, uh, Prescott, C.D. Lamb, situation right there where that, that duo is starting to become one of the elite in college in uh, college football, in, in the NFL if it's not that already. But it's a situation where, okay, we saw some things from Dallas and we saw some things from Detroit in terms of, hey, the defense for Detroit, defensive coordinator Eric Glenn, has been much maligned, rightfully so. They go into a game on the road against a team that averages over 40 points a game or has scored 30 points or more on uh, at home and hold them to 20 points. The reason why Detroit lost that game had nothing to do with the defense. The defense played well. The secondary played well. Aiden Hutchinson had a couple of uh, sacks on uh, Prescott. Um, I, I thought that the defense played well enough for Detroit to win. And I know people are going to be going back and pointing to, I can't believe that call that was made, uh, the two-point conversion that was disallowed. Look, man, it was a bad call. We know it was a bad call. It's a bad look on the referees to sit there and come back and say, no, 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 the referees were right. The referees were right. The referees were right. And I know with the NFL, and this will be forgotten in a couple of weeks, just like every week when we speak about um, the, the uproar in Kansas City, um, the, the offsides, it seems like there's every, seems like every week after the NFL uh, weekend that we're coming back with, did you see this bad call? Did you see this non-bad call? What's going on with the officiating, this, that, and the other? First of all, that's been happening for years. I mean, in the past, I, I, you know what? You know what's been down so far this season after the NFL week has been concluded? The whining of, and complaining of, can you believe they called a roughing the passer on that, on that defensive player? Can you believe that? Where can you hit the quarterback? The quarterback to being treated like babies. The quarterback needs to wear a flag. This is ridiculous. This is awful. At least, at least, we don't have those discussions every Monday or Tuesday about what the league is going to do. We had that with roughing the passer. We had that with pass interference. Now it's something, at least now there's a little bit of everything. Whether we're speaking about offsides, whether we're speaking about referees all of a sudden now, not... Um, not saying that, oh yeah, a couple of guys came in to say that they were eligible and a couple of the guys came over because we didn't want to tip Dallas into, oh, watch out for that guy. He's talking to the referee. He must be the eligible receiver. Let's look out for that. So, look, it was a bad look for <clears throat> the referees, but again, the NFL can get away with it because the NFL is the NFL in a couple of weeks, once the playoff starts, none of this will mean anything, will mean a hell of beans. But I will say this for fans of Detroit talking about they cost us the game. They cost us the game. Number one, no, they didn't because there were still 23 seconds left to go in the game. 
and it would have been a one-point game. So you don't know what would have become of Dallas once they got the ball back and got themselves in the field goal position because they do have a field goal kicker that can hit 55, 57, 58-yard field goals. So that was a situation where it wasn't an absolute that they were going to win the game if they had uh, went ahead and counted that two-point conversion. But also, it's a situation where, hey, look, man, don't be blaming the refs because Detroit, again, you put yourself in that situation. You couldn't take advantage of bad clock management from Mike McCarthy at the end of the game after Jared Goff threw an interception that I, at the time I thought iced the game for the Cowboys. Who knows, who knew that Mike McCarthy, I didn't know if he thought that they were behind or whatever. I didn't know that he thought his team was behind because that's the way he was playing it. Throwing on three different times. I know McCarthy can say, we're trying to win the game. We're trying to win the game. And this day and age of the NFL where you have people going for it on fourth down from their own side of the football field and going for two-point conversions and all that type of stuff that, you know, you, you play to win the game. That a situation like that might enter his mind. The fact that Dallas had not been running the ball well. The fact that their best player of the game had been their quarterback and a wide receiver and C.D. Lamb neither could have been stopped on a consistent basis. So maybe that was the reason why Mike McCarthy decided to go with that. But when it doesn't work, it looks like an idiot. And when you have a history of clock management um, um, uh, debacles, shall we say, or mismanagement that cost his team's opportunity to put away games, to win games and such, then any type of failure in that situation, even if it turns out that it didn't cost him the game, he's going to get lambasted for it. But, uh, yeah, but but Detroit couldn't take advantage of that. They couldn't do anything to stop C.D. Lamb, who had over 200 yards passing. So this was a situation where Detroit um, really should have been in a better position for them to win the football game without having the need of a blown call or a blown decision by the referee to uh, cost them the football game. And again, when you have C.D. Lamb catching 13 passes for 227 yards, including a 91-yard touchdown catch, then you can't sit there. And when you have Jared Goff throwing two interceptions after the defense gives up 20 points to a team that has scored 40 or more points in in their last five home games, and uh, you, you can't sit there and say, well, I'm going to blame the referees. So there you go. So let's take a look at the Cowboys playoff situation. If they beat Washington, my commanders, which they will, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, because I want the I want my commanders to uh, be 4-13. and 13, See what we can do to get the second or third draft pick in, the, uh, in this upcoming draft. But if they beat Washington, they'll play the NFC South champion on the road. If Tampa Bay which I still believe is in the driver's seat in the NFC South, if they beat Carolina, which they better, um, they'll win the NFC South. If Tampa Bay loses, the Eagles would play the winner of the Atlanta-New Orleans game. And if Dallas loses and the Eagles win at the New York Giants, the Eagles are going to win the NFC East and host a playoff game. So all that good stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Here we go. Um, let me see here. Did, 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 did. Oh, can I talk about the Philadelphia Eagles? Can I talk to you about that? Because what's going on with the Eagles? Did they hit rock bottom? Do you still believe? <laughs> I mean, on Sunday, losing 35-31, the 3-12 and Arizona Cardinals. The defense has been atrocious all year. Here's the, here's the deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. All season long, 
we've been sitting there saying, okay, sooner or later, the Eagles are going to uh, turn it up. Sooner or later, the Eagles are going to uh, get back to playing the way they were at the beginning of the season, at the, uh, at the uh, uh, last season. The Eagles are going to get there. Don't worry about that. And even though they were 10-1, and one, and even though at the time they were perceived to be the best team in the NFL after they had uh, beaten Kansas City and Dallas, <clears throat> it was like, oh, okay, without question. I-, I-, I thought that they had the most talented offensive and defensive lines in the NFL at that time. And they were 10-1, and one, best team in the NFL. But there was still this discussion about, yeah, well, you know, they really haven't played that, oh, shit. They're, you know, they really haven't played that, that great game. They really haven't played that dominating game just yet. You know, their best wins of the season so far was a five-game stretch going 5-0 and against Miami, Washington, Dallas, Kansas City, and Buffalo, right? But take a look at the other victories. They beat New England 25-20. We know New England is trash. They beat Minnesota 34-28, Minnesota's average. They beat Tampa Bay 25-11. Okay, but still Tampa Bay is average. They beat Washington 34-31. This was a situation where this was the first indication that really something was going on with the Philadelphia Eagles in the secondary because Sam Howell was lighting them up in that game on the road for Washington. And we were sitting there going, hmm. Man, he's doing whatever he wants to against this um, Eagles secondary, and they can't do anything about it. So that was my first kind of red flag. That was my first kind of, hmm, that there's something going on with the Eagles, but yet and still they won 34-31 because Ron Rivera decided not to go for two points and play for overtime. The L.A. Rams, they beat 23-14 when the Rams were still kind of struggling, still kind of finding their way. And they beat the New York Giants, a team that they're going to be playing the end of the season. They beat them 33 25. Again, it was a situation where none of these none of these games inspired any type of, oh yeah, they're the best team in the league by far. Oh yeah, they're head and shoulders. Oh yeah, they're where we expected them to be after winning the NFC uh, last uh, season. None of these games inspired that. But then again, it was a situation where once again, we could say 10-1, all these great things because there was no one else really with the exception of San Francisco that was standing out also. So it was a situation where, yeah, okay, Philadelphia hasn't looked like the team from last season, but do you think Dallas is going to beat them where they can't win on the road? Do you think Detroit's going to be for real? Do you think anybody in the NFC South is going to give them any problems? Do you think that Jordan Love and Kirk Cousins can really do anything against the uh, Eagles? There was not another team in that situation who were playing for uh, playoff position at that time throughout the season where you thought was going to be a real threat for the Philadelphia Eagles with the assumption that the Eagles were eventually going to raise the level of their game. Now, it's a situation now where, okay, they might raise the level of their game because the offense has been inconsistent. The offense hasn't been the same that it was uh, last season. Jalen Hurts statistically, maybe because of injury, has not been the same player that he was last season. He's still good. He's still a team that, he's still a quarterback I believe in, in terms of being able to get them to a Super Bowl. He just hasn't been the same player that we, that uh, he was last season. Now, last season, he came on like gangbusters. Last season, he shook up the world. Last season, he shocked the world. 
about what he was doing. So maybe there was some time for the defensive coordinators to kind of dig a little bit deeper and see what they can do to stop Jalen Hurts, something that they didn't really do um, the season offseason before. The running game hasn't been the same. You take a look at the coaching staff, and you see that Nick Sirianni lost both of his coordinators, offensive and defensive coordinators. He's having Matt Patricia now run the defense, and Brian Johnson is the offensive coordinator. So there's been some change in that situation. So all of these things are stirring in this soup, in this bowl, in this cup, in this broth, in this stew. That's making us say, huh, maybe it's a situation where the Eagles, they just who they, they are who they are for this season. Maybe we shouldn't be expecting the Philadelphia Eagles to get to where they were last season. Maybe that 10-1 record was a mirage. Now, I'm not saying when they say, uh, when you speak about the Philadelphia Eagles, do you think that they're closer to the 10-1 team or are they closer to the team that's lost four of their last five? They're somewhere in the middle. Well, being somewhere somewhere in the middle, what does that mean? Does that make them better than the Dallas Cowboys? Does that make them better than the San Francisco 49ers? Does that make them better than the Detroit Lions? I think the three main teams, I think the teams that are really going to determine who's going to win the NFC. But then on any given Sunday, you never know. If the Green Bay Packers get in there, you never know. This is a team that looks great one week and then loses to the New York Giants and Tommy DeVito on Monday Night Football the next week. This is a situation where just when we think that we have the Dallas Cowboys figured out because of their dominating victory over Philadelphia, they go and get dominated themselves by the Buffalo Bills. Man, it's a week-to-week deal with the NFL, which is the reason why I'm saying the fact that when the Baltimore Ravens, and the reason why I say that the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the uh, NFL is because of what they showed me the past two weeks, not only going to San Francisco and beating them the way that they did, then coming back and destroying, dismantling the Miami Dolphins in the fashion that they did, let me, lets me know that there is no letdown. Let's me know that there has been some consistency recently with the Baltimore Ravens that they're quote-unquote peaking at the right time. Now, peaking at the right time could be a week-to-week situation. And with Baltimore having basically two weeks off before they play their football, before they play a playoff game, then we don't know what they're going to be looking like. We don't know how much of, of rust is going to accumulate in the two weeks that they're going to have off. But... You take a look at some of the other teams in the AFC now switching to the AFC. <clears throat> you have the Baltimore Ravens, and then who else? Do you believe in Kansas City? Do you believe in Miami? Here's a situation. Do you believe in Buffalo? Because now Buffalo is the new flavor of the month in terms of, uh-oh, Buffalo, I believe, has won four games for the first time all season. They've been up and down. They've been inconsistent, but uh-oh. Now it's a situation where you start giving them a little bit of momentum. You start giving them a little bit of belief. They do have Josh Allen. Which Josh Allen are we going to be getting? Which Josh Allen are we going to be getting? The one that looks like the best player in the NFL, regardless of what Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and anybody else is doing? Are we going to get that uber special quarterback football player, Josh Allen? Are we going to get the Josh Allen that throws interceptions that make Brett Favre scratch his head? Which one are we going to be getting? Are we going to be getting the one that completes only 7 of 15? Or are we going to be getting the one that's going to be uh, dominating? Which one are we going to be getting with Josh Allen? That's the deal for me. 
Yeah, okay, that's great. That's wonderful in terms of what they did to the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas has been trash on the road all season. The running game, as far as the defense stopping the running game, has been inconsistent for the Cowboys. And against the New England Patriots, they went back to being average on the ground again. So that game against the Dallas Cowboys where James Cook ran all over the place and Josh Allen was a guy who was in a class project who didn't do anything and still got an A, uh, um, if you want to listen to Josh Allen, with the running game for Buffalo, should we take more into one game with the Dallas Cowboys at home, or should we take the totality of the season and equate and, and, and see what type of running game does the do the Buffalo Bills have? Buffalo's supposed to be this team that's supposed to be scaring people. All right, they've been pretty inconsistent to me. They haven't blown out anybody. They haven't shown me anything in a while in terms of like, oh, shit. Oh, boy. Oh, Lord. I'm, I would be more scared of Cleveland than I would be of the Buffalo Bills. And, yeah, Joe Flacco plays for Cleveland. Josh Allen plays for Buffalo. But if you take a look at that defense, Buffalo's been getting some of their players back from injury, but still they're depleted a bit on the defensive side of the football. And then you go with Cleveland, who I think had the best defense in the AFC, if not one of the best defenses in the NFL right there with the Baltimore Ravens and others. Can the magic of Joe Flacco continue? I don't believe in Jacksonville. I don't believe in Indianapolis. What about the Houston Texans? If they get in, I think definitely it's going to be Baltimore's division to lose. Just like it's going to be San Francisco's. But we won't know until everything's Everything is all set and ready to go. All right. I'm done. I'm out of here. Good first podcast of the year. I didn't get to my Georgetown Hoyas. I didn't get to my NBA. The two loves of my life. When it comes to sports teams, it's the Georgetown Hoyas. When it comes to sports leagues, it's the NBA. But, uh, most definitely, I will be getting to uh, the NBA. I'll be getting to everything that's been going down in the NBA. Most definitely, that's right. In fact, right now I have my uh, I'm looking at NBA TV, and I'm taking a look at Giannis, and I'm wondering to myself, hey, everybody talks when they talk about MVP. They talk about um, Jokic. They talk about Embiid. They talk about Luca. Why don't they talk about Giannis? Giannis all of a sudden is off the radar? Maybe because of the slow start that Milwaukee had? And when we speak about slow starts, how slow was it? They're 22-8 right now. They just lost to uh, Indiana, which snapped a, a long winning streak. But what, Giannis is averaging close to 30? Close to averaging a triple-double? I mean, I'm not saying that he's the MVP. I still think Joel Embiid right now is the MVP of the league. I think that he's been playing the best basketball from start to finish. I think Jokic is is right there. But no Embiid? No Embiid? I need to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I need to talk about the Boston Celtics. I need to talk about Victor Wimbanyana. I need to talk about the directs of the NBA, which include the Detroit Pistons, who just... (laughs) lost 28 basketball games in a row. I need to talk about my Washington Wizards, a team who I think, if you take a look at the five-year projection, I think that the Washington Wizards are at the bottom in terms of where they're going to be. With, if, you're the, if you're the Detroit Pistons, you've got Cade Cunningham. You have something. I'm not saying Cade Cunningham is Luka or anything like that. 
You know, you can't have an elite player and then lose 28 games. I don't care how bad the surrounding parts are. But, man, I think Cade Cunningham could be a guy that... I think Cade Cunningham is an all-star. I really think Cade Cunningham is an all-star, or at least has all-star potential. He's young. With your, if you're the Detroit Pistons and your glasses half full type optimism, at least you got that. In San Antonio, you got Victor Wimbanyana, who's been up and down, but, you know, still. He's putting up decent numbers for a team that's not winning anything. But how much better would he be if he actually had a point guard to play with instead of a power forward trying to play point guard? That would be something else. That would be interesting. How many more games would San Antonio win if they actually got themselves a point guard, a real point guard, and actually played some defense? But Wimbanyana is a guy who looks like he's on the path to fulfilling expectations, and he's getting better now that he switched to uh, playing center. So some of the drecks in the NBA, you can see something. You can see some type of hope, some type of optimism, some type of glass half-empty. What do you see with the Wizards? Where do you see anything with the Wizards which signals that down the line, this is all going to be worth it? Kyle Kuzma is not going to be on this team. Kyle Kuzma is averaging over 20 points a game. Great. When Kyle Kuzma averages over 20 points a game, that means that team is losing and he's losing consistently. If you take a look when he was the leading scorer or one of the scorers for the Los Angeles Lakers back in the Luke Walton era when he was scoring over 20 points a game, no coincidence that those were the years when, when the Lakers were winning 22 games, 25 games, 18 games, but Kuzman was averaging 20 points a game. What the fuck does that mean? By the time they got ready to win basketball games, Kuzman was barely in the rotation when the Lakers won their championship with LeBron and AD in the bubble. So we've got Kyle Kuzma, who is not going to be with the team anyway when everything is all said and done, and we've got Jordan Poole. There's nobody on the Wizards. Nobody on the Wizards. Nobody on the Wizards. That's a starter for a team that's going to be challenging for a championship. Daniel Gafford, he's a backup player that's starting for this team. Denny Avia, he's nothing more than a role player at best on a decent team, and he's starting for this team. Corey Kispert, who's coming off the bench, shooter, role player for a team that's going to be uh, looking to win a championship. Nothing more, nothing left. We have him running off screens. We have him doing a whole lot of things. Um, Who else is on that team? Jordan Poole, he won a championship with Golden State. But uh, he's nothing more than a reserve. His, his responsibility for this team, for Washington, doesn't lend me any inspiration that they're going to get any better. So you got Gafford, backup center in the NBA for any decent team. You got Envia, uh, uh, Denny Avia, who's a, a role player at best. You've got uh, Jordan Poole. You got Trey Jones, who last season for the Minnesota Timberwolves was a backup point guard. So we have a backup point guard playing starters minutes for us. I mean, this is a team that stinks. This is a team that's designed to stink. But unlike Detroit, who basically was, basically, if you think about it, made moves last offseason and the season before really to uh, win basketball games. If you think about Bogdan, uh, the Bonjanovic, they picked up Alex Burks. They got a few, um, they got a few um, uh, veterans on their squad. But, but this is a situation where it's kind of like, man, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. 
We've got nothing to build on. We've got nothing as far as hope is concerned. We don't have a young player in this upcoming draft. It's muddled, befuddled, and there is no Victor Wimbanyana. There is no LeBron James. There is no Kevin Durant. There is no team basic there is no player basically for the Wizards to tank for that they can draft to turn their program around. And with Ted Leonis at, at the owner, I don't know how much confidence I would have in that happening, even if there was a player to do such things. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot in the NBA I want to discuss, but that will be for my next podcast. Thank you very much for uh, listening to my podcast. Let me get on out of here. Hey, uh, do me a favor, Maestro, get me out of here with some music. be weary them young girls they do get weary wearing that same old mini skirt dress yeah 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 but when she gets weary you try your little tenderness yeah Now I know she's waiting Just anticipating Things that she'll never, 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 never possess No, no But while she's there waiting Try just a little bit of tenderness That's all you got to do Now it might be A little bit sentimental No, no, no But she has Her grief and care Yeah, 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 yeah but the soft words, they are spoke so gentle, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes it easy, easy to bear. Oh, sweet, no, no. Young girls, they don't forget it.